This is not the dream job, this is reality. I am an actor. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. And I think that you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. But Premier League is a fraud. Ferret head. Very much looks like a ferret, doesn't it? Which form is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Hello and welcome to the Bullseye Football Show in association with Ladbrokes. Uh, I'm Gavin Cooney and there is nobody else here. Yeah, I'm very sorry I'm here by myself, but don't worry too much. Uh, you won't have to listen to me for very long uh, because coming up on the show, we have a couple of original interviews with Sean St. Ledger and Cork's own Alan Kelly. Uh, before we get into what's coming up on the show, reminder, uh, please do rate and subscribe and comment beneath this podcast on iTunes. Uh, it will help us get up the charts and more importantly, it will feed uh, my enormous ego. Uh, but as I said, uh, there's, a sh- there's a chat with Ireland's top scorer at Euro 2012, Sean St. Ledger, coming up at the end of the show. Uh, before that, we'll have our Ladbrokes Bet of the Week. And before even that, uh, the best referee in the MLS, Cork's own Alan Kelly, uh, took time out of his busy schedule across the water uh, to, fo- to chat to me on the phone this week. Um, we also took the liberty of recording the conversation, uh, so here it is in full. Uh, I began by pointing out uh, that refereeing in Alan Kelly's life, well, it's pretty much the family business. Uh, it pretty much is. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a, a well documented fact that uh, uh, my grandfather, my dad, myself, my brother um, have uh, all either been involved or involved. So. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm we're currently taking off the mantle at the minute. <laughs> and with that background at home, Alan, I'd like. To, I was interested to know whether, when you went to watch games, knowing that all your family were referees, when you went to watch games as a kid, was there? Did you have an extra focus on the referee himself, or were you just kind of lost in the crowd with everybody else? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty. That's a something I haven't been asked before. But yes, is is the simple answer to it. Um, okay. I used to go to a lot of games with. Uh, with my dad um, when he refereed in the League of Ireland so um, you know the, the League of Ireland scene was, was uh, very familiar to me so um, of course when your dad's in the middle um, the, that's always going to be the focus so I think I grew up um, watching referees um, as well as watching the game so uh, and I see it with my own kids at the moment they come to some, some of my games and um, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a thrill for them when, um, when, they, when they see their dad there you know so yeah. it, it was the same for me yeah. So, was there always a desire there to be a referee? Uh, that no, I'm not sure about. Um, <laughs> um, playing was always my first love. Uh, I, I I I played from from I think probably the age of four, um, and uh, played schoolboy football. And I liked the competition and liked the competitiveness of it, and uh, and kind of moved through the the grades um, when I was younger. Um, always had a, a a close eye on the referee side of it, but. Um, and, and, and probably deep down, always thought that I would referee at some point, but never thought um, when I was younger. Never thought that I would get into it when I was uh, what, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, before the MLS, uh, there was the MSL, the, the Munster Senior League, uh, where you played with Cork. Um, now that you referee, I mean, does your experience as a player does that inform how you referee? Um, I think it certainly helps. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that the um, the the, the best 
better referees or former players or anything like that, but uh, having an understanding of, of the game and having played the game and having been involved in the middle of it as, as a player um, certainly gives you a, a, an understanding of, of, of the game and, um, um, and and you could appreciate the, the player aspect as well. So, um, uh, so it certainly helps. It's not a, it's, it's not a, it's absolutely not a prerequisite, but um, for me, I think it, it, it helps. And some of the other guys that I know that have played, you know, have that, you know, feeling for the game, and um, um, yeah, that that transcends into the refereeing side of it in uh, in some degree. So uh, it helps. Yeah, and talk us through Alan and how you made your first steps into refereeing. Um, it was um, uh, I, I was injured actually as a as a player, and um, while out injured, um, I had done the referee beginners course back in Cork in in ninety four. Oh, that's a an age ago um so um and while i was injured um i i i got a call and said uh and, and was asked to do um an under 11 uh, uh game in the Cork school boys league between tremor and mayfield i'll never forget it okay it was a uh, it was a 7-6 cracker <laughs> um 12 12 breakaways in the dodgy offside somebody said but it was it was it was one of those ones where i got i got a phone call on a friday night to say to ask, hey, look, we're short a referee for tomorrow. Can you go out to uh, Tremor Park, which was only a, a couple of miles away from where I lived anyway? So I said, yep. I scraped some referee kit together, um, got the, the match card as such, and was um, intimidated like I've never been before um, With uh, in an environment where I was... I, I probably should have been used to, but wasn't used to. And... Um, and it was um, yeah, it was that was it. That was my first uh, that was my first game seven six. Um, and from there, I kind of I refereed during the course of of that season while kind of rehabbing from injury. And uh, um, yeah, I, I went back and played for a, a season um, after that, and then kind of said, okay, I've I've kind of had enough. At the time, you couldn't referee and play, so um, I said, yeah, I've yeah. I've been bitten by the bug, so. Um, so went back into it in the in the uh, in the the Cork AUL and the the the, the Munster Senior League eventually, and um, it was kind of strange refereeing guys that you'd played against a couple of years previous, you know. But um, such is the such is the role of uh, of the referee life. Yeah, you talked about in that under eleven game about being intimidated. How, in what way were you intimidated? In the sense that you, I mean, with a cra- with a crowd that small, I guess you can hear exactly what everyone is saying. Yeah, it it, it was it was a really strange feeling, you know, um, because. It, all the games that I had been involved in up to that point, I was there as a player. So it was a totally different environment. You know, you had as a player, you had your teammates and 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 your your, your manager, your coach, or whatever. Um, and as a referee, you were absolutely on your own. You know, and even though there were kids, you know, uh, there were eleven-year-old kids with some um, with with um, parents as uh, as as managers or coaches, and and a few parents sprinkled throughout the uh, around the touchline. But the, the the environment was was a strange one because um, I, I didn't really have any time to prepare for it because, as I said, the, the game was like eleven o'clock on the Saturday morning. I got a phone call yeah. at nine o'clock on a Friday night, you know. So um, uh, uh, so I, I think just from that point of view, there was an uncertainty and uh, you know um, and so on. But uh, it was it was it was it was a little bit intimidating in terms of the um, in terms of the environment uh, um, that. Um, that we're that I, I was kind of thrust into, and it's actually it's it's actually the same now because um, my my kids play um, 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 football here or soccer here, yeah. and 
Um, I, I refereed a, 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 an under nine girls game there um, not so long ago, and look, uh, I, I made a point after you can put you can put me in a stadium with fifty thousand people on a on a live uh, a national TV game, and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. But you put me out in in a, in a U nine girls game surrounded by a load of in, in, on a pitch surrounded by a load of parents, and it's a very very strange environment. <laughs> I can you know? imagine. I can imagine. And when you were now, I'm not going to suggest you had uh, you had posters of David Ellery in your wall or anything, Alan. But when you were taking your first steps into refereeing, were there any refs that you admired or that you looked up to? Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, like my dad was an influence because you know he was um, not, not not so much an influence, but he he was someone I looked up to because growing up in the house, um, you know. He was off to. He was a FIFA referee, so he 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 went and he refereed um, big teams, you know, big games, big players, and it was great as a kid to be able to say to to your friends, "My dad's going to referee Barcelona tomorrow night in yeah. uh, in, in what was the the European Cup at the time." Um, so so you know, I suppose seeing what he had done, um, you know, always kind of had a had, it gave me something to um, to aspire to. You know, from a, from a refereeing point of view, um, <clears throat> there was some. There was, you know, I, I was surrounded by referees um, at that time because, you know, if, if referees came to um, came to Cork to referee a Cork City game, they, you know, if my dad didn't have a game, you know, my dad would pick him up off the train, or or they would come to our house for for lunch before the game. So there was always that, you know, kind of referee atmosphere. So some of the League of Ireland guys, um, Paddy Daly at the time was um, was a, a, a big figure in. In League of Ireland refereeing circles, and Eamon Farrell. Eamon Farrell was a was a guy who um, uh, was was a was a man who who was a fantastic referee at the time. He, he uh, I remember going to uh, the '86 Cup final um, in Dalymount Park, where my dad was the fourth official, and Eamon Farrell was the uh, was the referee, and um, he he made a big impression on me way back when. And uh, when the FAI School of Excellence um, for Young Referees was launched, Eamon was the Eamon was the guy who headed it up, and uh, he was um, a massive influence on me in terms of of how he how he coached us and you know things that that he pointed out to us uh, um, as as up and coming referees that have lasted literally to to, to the very day. And Eamon was a was a was a huge influence. Um, and somebody that that uh, that I looked up to, um, you know, like it's easy to point out the international referees like the likes of Colleen, uh, um, uh, and so on, who were fantastic referees. But the the guys closer to home um, were very much who you learn from, um, so to speak. Yeah, uh, you talked about your father going off and refereeing Barcelona in the European Cup. Uh, you got to do that yourself. I mean, you ref some of the biggest games in the Champions League and a European uh, European Championship and World Cup qualifiers. Like, how hard is it for Irish referees to break onto that stage? Because it it is so rare. It's it's really difficult. Um, it, it is very difficult, and we've got. Um, I say we because you know I'm, you know my colleagues back home. Um, I still feel part of that group, even though I'm not. Um, but I've got a lot of friends involved there, and uh, um, and we've got some very good referees at home. Um, uh, and guys who unfortunately um uh, who are uh, fortunately have been involved in some very big games but um um over the last year or two you know haven't got the, the recognition that they deserved um from an international point of view um but it was very very difficult you know uh, when when we become fifa referees in ireland um um it's literally like starting 
starting at the at the very bottom and having to work your way through the the the, the categories again. And and for me, it was a it was a long process, and there was a, a year or two there where the games were going fine away, but you weren't really making that progression. And maybe it was a, a lack of trust in a in a. In, in Irish officials because maybe the powers that be from a refereeing point of view in in Europe didn't look at the league as a as a you know a, a big league with big players therefore maybe they didn't trust the referees as much and when we got the opportunity to referee bigger games um, we had to take it and uh, um, and we never let anybody down um, and and that culminated in in some some really big games for us. Um, on the European stage in the Champions League, Europa League, World Cup qualifiers, uh, and, and so on, and yeah, we did. We had the uh, we had the opportunity to referee um, um, Real Madrid in the Bernabeu, the Champions League, Bayern Munich in um, in the in the Allianz Arena in the Champions League, and they're fantastic stages. And look, as a young referee growing up, there are things that you can only aspire to. So to reach them was um, was um, uh, hugely satisfying. Um, you know, very proud um, moments in my career, our career. Um, mm. Because I say our hour, because um, uh, the guys that um, that worked with me, we were very much part of a team. Yeah. So per- um, yeah, it was uh, it was great to be involved in that. Yeah, the perception from my my uh, my point of view is that if you come from a, like a, a slightly weaker league, you're not as trusted. Is that fair? Maybe. Yeah. It, it, like it's it's um when you're working in the bigger league. The, the likes of England and, and and Spain and Germany and Italy, um, you're 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 involved in those really high-profile games on a week-to-week basis. Um, so so you know your ability at at the, at the very highest level is seen weekly. Um, and and I don't want to be disrespectful to the to, to the Eritrean League because mm. look, I grew up with League of Ireland football. I'm a huge fan of League of Ireland football. I'm a, I'm a big believer. Um, in in the product that is League of Ireland football, um, but when you when you compare it to other leagues, um, you know it's perceived to be a, a, a smaller league in terms of um, in terms of the quality of play and, and so on, and that's just a fact. Um, so when you when you referee um, in the League of Ireland every week, um, there is a question mark over over your ability to referee at the highest level. So they don't throw you in there um, on the bigger games um, straight away. You have to work your way through. And if you, if you work your way through on a, on a, on a, a higher level and, and, and a progressively higher level, that, that's where you get the, uh, the opportunity to referee in the bigger games. And that's exactly what happened from my point of view. It took, um, it took some time to get there. Um, and while we were working to, towards getting there, we had to make sure that we were, um, that we were performing uh, on, on the games that we were given. Um, and we had to build that trust and, uh, and, and, uh, and ultimately we did. Yeah. Um, you've left all those big European nights behind now for the MLS. Was that a difficult decision to make, to make the move? Um, it was. It was, it was really, really difficult at the time. I'm on record of saying is, uh, you know, that it was a really difficult thing to do. Um, but, um, you know, I got to a point where I was looking for, for something different. And, um, um, the opportunity came and it presented itself to, to, to get involved in something else. And, and I thought long and hard about it um, in terms of what I was giving up, um, in terms of the impact it would have uh, on, on me and my family, but ultimately what it would, um, what it would hopefully lead to kind of further down the, further down the line. And, uh, you know, um, looking at, 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 my, at my post refereeing career, um, that's the, that's the direction I wanted to, I wanted to take it. And, uh, and the opportunities that presented itself, um, 
here. So that was the that was the the, the reason for it, but it wasn't one that was taken lightly. Yeah. What are the main cultural differences, uh, in your opinion, Alan, between refereeing in Ireland and Europe, and then refereeing in the MLS? Travel um, <laughs> would be the yeah. main one. Um, there's a there's a phenomenal amount of travel involved uh, for me uh, weekly. Um, where you know, where at home you you get in the car, you drive to Dublin, or the the furthest that you'll drive to would be Derry um, yeah. or, or Finn Harps, maybe once a season. Um, um, here, it's uh, I'm literally hopping on a plane uh, at least once a week, um, sometimes twice a week. Um, and you could fly, you know, I'm based on the east coast, and you could fly literally to the west coast uh, for a game. Um, and uh, oh. and back over a three day period, and that's oh, because I mean the league is. The system. I mean the teams are divided into eastern and western conferences, aren't they? So I mean, but referees are kind of you lot are kind of sent around everywhere. Correct. The, oh, okay. um, the there's 22 teams in MLS, uh, 11 teams in the eastern conference, 11 teams in the western conference. But there's there's um, you know cross conference games. You know, not not everybody in the east plays everybody in the east, and everybody in the west plays everybody in the west. They they. Um, they play cross conference. So, oh, okay. um, so from our point of view, yeah, we could literally be sent anywhere um, in the in the country and uh, and Canada. Uh, you, you've got three teams in Canada, um, one of which is Vancouver on the West Coast. We're ahead to in a in a, in a, in a couple of weeks' time. So, mm. so yeah, we could we could be we could be sent anywhere. I, I could be as close um, to home as as New England, but as far away from home as as Vancouver. Is, like, is that difficult? And like, do you get much notice as to how far they're gonna they're gonna send you? Yeah, uh, at the moment we we currently have um, four weeks no- notification, so I, okay. I, I know where I'm going um, uh, between now and uh, up to June 24th at the minute. Um, and uh, in, into that um, schedule, we have to factor in our um, our, our training camps. Uh, every two weeks, we get together in uh, at this time of the year. We get together in um, Park City in, in, in Utah uh, for a three-day training camp: Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, so we travel there Wednesday morning. Um, so you're there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On Friday, you either head home if you don't have a game, or are on to your destination for whatever game that you have. So, uh, if I have a game on a Saturday, uh, generally I, I get in um, Friday afternoon, early Friday evening. Give yourself uh, enough time to get over the travel, adjust to the time difference if there is a time difference. Uh, um, you know, get a full and proper night's sleep, all that kind of stuff before uh, before your game the following day. Games on a Saturday, and then you fly back home um, on a on a Sunday. It's very typical, you know, of um of of a European game back home. You know, yeah. where if your game is on a on a Wednesday night, you travel on a Tuesday, um, back on a Thursday. Um, the, the only thing is, you, you might have maybe six or seven European games a year. Um, MLS games, you probably have, you know, if you're doing your your, your business right, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five games um, during the season. So um, it, it it takes a lot of adjustment, uh, and it, it it can take quite a toll on um, on your body, you know. Um, but you know, I'm kind of what three three and a half years into it now, and and I'm I'm used to it. But um, it doesn't get any easier just because you're used to it. Uh, but people think, um, oh, you have a great time. You're flying off here, yeah. there, and everywhere. But it's not always. Uh, it's not always. Um, it's not always that. There is work to do. Yeah, and you mentioned the training camps, and just doing a little bit of reading around before uh, before I rang you. I mean, the level of scrutiny and the the number of tests and the and the kind of measurements you have to go go through every week is really quite rigorous, isn't it? Well, yeah, the training camp is is twofold. There's two facets to it. There's there's the physical aspect to it. Um, where we um, we there is a, a full and dedicated we have a full and dedicated sports science um, 
team and department of, of which there's a number of members of. Um, so they, you know, we, we have daily training sessions that, that are, are emailed to us. And, you know, so from a, from a sports science point of view, we, we have to wear heart rate monitors, um, GPS tracking systems for every training system, uh, every training session. Um, we then upload that uh, immediately post session, so our, our um, sports science guys can take a look at it. Um, so, so there's the, there's that side of it at our training camps, but there's also the educational side of it at our training camps. Um, you know, we spend, we have two educational sessions at the um, at those camps um, based on um, the games that we have refereed over the previous two weeks, and we will look back at clips as a group um, decisions that that you know might be incorrect or correct um, to look at how we can benefit and how we can learn from um, situations that have, that have uh, cropped up during games. So, so we, there's a lot of video analysis. There's a lot of uh, discussion. There's a lot of um, um, you know, what we call educational uh, stuff involved in that. So, so as I said, you've got, the, you've got the physical side of it. You've got the educational side of it. And, uh, and it's, it's quite intense for the period of time that we're there. You know, it's, it's, it's full on with, um, with both of those. And, uh, it, but at the same time, it's a great environment to be in from a from a refereeing point of view, you know. Um, yeah, I wouldn't change it. Great. Uh, if, you um, yeah. if you don't mind me asking you, Alan, about like a couple of ge- general points about uh, refereeing, uh, what's what do you think is the most irritating aspect of the game uh, to referee from from your own point of view? Um, irritating uh, may not be the. the the word I would use, yeah. but um, the the increased uh, the increased amount of, of analysis, um, you know, the, the the number of camera angles that we've got to look at, uh, not that we've got to look at that, yeah. uh, um, commentators and and um, 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 analysts have to look at, um, you know, from, from from our point of view, look, that's the world we're in. We we you know we have a split second to make a decision type of thing, and 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 that's what we signed up for, and we know it. Um, um, but the the amount of scrutiny that's involved in it now is it's getting to a point where it's becoming really, really, you know, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, um, th- there's not a game that goes by where, where I know from my point of view that I'll get everything right, you know, but it's the, it's the critical match incidents, the, you know, the, the, the big decisions, penalty kicks, red cards, things like that. They're the ones that we absolutely want to get right um, and endeavor uh, to get right. And sometimes we get them wrong, you know. Um, but w- what, what irritates me is that, you know, it, it, it's so easy for, for somebody to sit in the studio, you know, having looked at it for the, during the course of, of the game multiple times, or, you know, post-game, if, if there's a highlights program going on, you know, they, they have an opportunity to look at it multiple times during the course of the game, to, to, uh, during the course of the day, to, to base their opinion. And uh, uh, I see some pundits, um, you know, use the word scandalous and, you know, um, ridiculous decisions and things like that. And, and I go, you have almost no idea what goes into that, you know? Mm. Um, uh, so that's the that's a real bugbearer at the minute. But at the same time, that's what a referee signs up for. You know, yeah. you, 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 you have to be open to that scrutiny and, and that criticism. Um, but, um, you know, as I said, it's... it's uh, it, it's 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 too easy for someone to sit in the comfort of a, a of a coach in a studio and and look at it multiple times and say yeah that's a that's a terrible decision you know yeah it, it could be wrong absolutely yeah you know? but um, there are there, there there's there's a reason for that you know yeah. uh, Sky Sports did a, I don't know if you saw this Sky Sports did quite a good show a couple of months ago where they sent uh, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville uh, for a couple of days uh, training with all the Premier League referees to go behind the scenes and see what's involved in the job. Um, it was really good. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I do recommend you, you dig it out. Um, but toward the end, um, I did. 
I did. Yeah. So toward the end, uh, Gary and Jamie were talking to Mike Riley and they were giving their opinions on how maybe the perception of referees would be bettered in the media and then by extension among all the fans. And, and one of the ideas that they came up with was to almost humanise the referee a little bit more uh, by inviting them to speak out in the media to give their own point of view more often. Would you agree with that idea that referees, if they do make a mistake, should come out and explain in the media and explain to people from their point of view why they made, why they made the decisions that they made? Uh, I do. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big believer in communication. Um, and I know a number of years ago, back in the, in, in the Premier League, um, they had tried that. Um, and, and that was something that, 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 that had been adopted for a period of time. Um, some referees were comfortable and, and other referees were not. You know? Yeah. Um, I know the practice stopped. Um, I think maybe one referee said something that, that you know, made life difficult and, and, and so on. Um, but with the proper, with the proper, you know, with the proper media training, et cetera, I think that's something that, that could be looked at. Um, and, and I would encourage, um, one of the things that we do here in MLS is that, um, journalists or, or, or pool reporters have the option, uh, have the opportunity to ask, um, I think it's two questions post game okay. related to any incident that happens in the game. Um, and, and the referee is obliged to, to, um, other referee or the referee team uh, are obliged to, to, to answer the question. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that's very helpful. Uh, well, you know, most times it's very helpful because it just, it, it, it gives clarity to something that may not be clear, or it gives the referee's perspective on what they saw at that particular time. And, uh, and, and, you know, some people will agree with the answer and some people won't agree with the answer, but what it does is it, it eliminates that, that whole, you know, well, that 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 one-sidedness to an argument. Um, so um, so yeah, we, we we do that here. That's a, that's a practice that's a, that's adopted. Um, you know, if, if if there's nothing controversial in your game, you won't get any questions. It's kind of that simple. Um, yeah. But if there are some things that in your game where um, where where clarity is 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 required, the questions will come in, and you know you 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 take some time and 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 you answer it and. Uh, and that's it. So it's something that that I did see the program on on um, on, on Sky Sports, and uh, um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed that. And it does it, it did add a human factor to uh, um, two things as well, giving that behind the scenes look at, at at what referees do and and how they go about their their weekly routine as such. We did something here uh, last year, the year before, where um, where the um, where, where a camera crew followed us to games. I, I did one back home a couple of years ago um, on um, I think it was Santa Sports. Where where we had a we had a, uh, a camera crew with us for for a couple of games, but also for some training sessions, and it just gave a behind the scenes look at at what we do um, and how we do it, um, as opposed to you know us being the people who turned up on a on a Friday night just to yeah. upset you know <laughs> half the people in attendance or, or or all of the people in attendance, whatever it was, and just it, it, it ruined people's weekends. But there's there's a there's a there's a lot more that goes into it than than just turning up for your game. Yeah, I I think uh, you referenced it beforehand. Um, but it, in terms of video review system, uh, like live television match official, it looks like I mean, it looks kind of inevitable that it will be in, introduced pretty soon into football. Would you welcome it? <laughs> we are smack bang in the middle of it at the moment. We oh, are, of course. Um, we've been the pioneers in this in the in the in the in the US over the past uh, eighteen months now. Um, we've been training behind the scenes. Is on um, video assistant replay, um, um, uh, VAR, um, yeah. video assistant referees. Um, so um, uh, 
we are we're currently undertaking behind the scenes training. We've done um, some live games, not in MLS, um, in uh, USL um, USL games. We've done what we call surrogate um, referees on. Um, on some MLS games where we don't influence the, the the referees on the game, we 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 do it from a training point of view offline. Um, and uh, in August, we will be it'll be introduced in MLS games. Uh, so we are we are smack bang in the middle of of um, of VAR um, uh, VAR at the moment. Yeah, um, and in terms of so it is it is inevitable. It's definitely going to come here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't wait for it. Um, and in terms of those who say, like the people who would be kind of against it, that it would slow the game up a bit. I mean, would would you assuage their concerns? I mean, like it seems there was a decision recently. I think it was France against Spain and a friendly, and it was done almost instantly. Yeah, that's the that's the game that we um, we always refer back to um, when we discuss it at the minute because there were there were three incidents in that in, in that game, um, all of which were were. Um, um, effective in terms of um, in terms of VAR, um, and it, it was uh, quite instantaneous. And it, you know, the conspiracy theorists out there have said that you know I've read some crazy stuff in relation to you know those three incidents being staged because it was so quick, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, and not every decision is going to be like that, um, which is a crazy mindset to have. Now we've we've been involved in some training situations here where it has taken a little bit longer, um, but you know. I don't have the stats, um, but I know the stats are there in terms of our training at the minute. Uh, the most up-to-date stats, I mean, I don't have, but um, we have it. You know, they have it down to an average time in terms of uh, in terms of the decisions um, that that we've taken, uh, undertaken in in our training um, in our training situations. Um, so you know, it can take a little bit of time. Um, some situations, some situations are quite clear. Um, but the things that we review, the, you know, this, this, uh, we review goals, obviously penalty kicks, red cards, in cases of mistaken identity. Um, so it's not a case of you know should that be a foul, should that not be a foul, you know, uh, should it be a red throw in or a blue throw in, things mm. like that. It's the it's the key match incidents are the ones that are, are um, that are up for review, and and you know there has to be a clear and obvious error um, as opposed to something that's subjective. You know. Yeah has to be clear and obviously an error for, 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 for something to be overturned or, 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 or set down and, and, and so on. So, so there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a lot of work. Um, there's a, there's a yeah, phenomenal amount of work um, behind the scenes with, um, in terms of the training aspect to it. Um, and everything is geared towards August to make sure that when we go live um, that, that it's, it becomes effective. We've seen some situations, um, I think, um, in the A-League in Australia, um, they've just introduced it, uh, and uh, they've had some some contentious issues. And um, you know what we're what we're looking to avoid is to is to is to you know, go to a situation where you have video assistant replay and and getting the decision wrong. That's obviously yeah. what you want to avoid. Um, so um, so will it help the game? Um, ultimately, I think it will. Um, I, I, I'd be a, a, a tr- Traditionalist when it comes to, to to the refereeing aspect of it, but over the course of time, um, you know, I've I've slightly changed my views. And having been involved in this for a year and a half now, um, I can see the benefits that it will have to the game. I can also see the the, the potential pitfalls that are there. And for anyone who thinks that it will right all the wrongs of football, um, then you know uh, that not that may not be ne- uh, necessarily be the case. Um, but it, it 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 definitely has the potential to. Um, 
to help and improve yeah. the game. And one, just very briefly again, on the VAR, who like who decides or how is it decided as to what goes to review? Because I like it's not. I had this vision of it possibly working where managers have three challenges like in tennis, but then I'm thinking I have this awful vision of like Jose Mourinho using it like three times in the last three minutes of a game he wants to shut down uh, to waste time. So is it the referee's decision? Yeah. Um, ultimately, um, the referee has the final decision on everything. Okay. Okay. Um, now, as as the VAR, um, as the VAR, uh, as the game progresses, the VAR can what we call silent check everything. He doesn't have to. He or she doesn't have to let the the referee know everything that's being checked. So so you know, everything is 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 being checked kind of behind the scenes. So. Um, if, if there is a clear and obvious error uh, with regard to a, a situation, the, the VAR can recommend a review, um, cool. and it's up to the referee to accept that or not. But if, if the referee has any doubt, then you know a referee is going to check if one of his colleagues, um, one of his or her colleagues, recommends a review. You know, um, you know the, the, the people that are, are operating as, as VARs um, are are referees that are operating at the same level. It's not you know somebody who's refereed. 20 years ago and, and might be out of um, might be out of tune with the modern game type of thing the, the, the VARs are, are up to date modern referees um, operating at the same level as the referee uh, yeah. would um, would operate at so so you know um, um, the referee can initiate a review if he has if he or she has any doubt with uh, something but the decision has to be made on the field first of all yeah you know? um, that's the that's the key thing Great. Um and once the once the decision is made on the field then it can be reviewed um one way or the other. Yeah, that's the media future for football. About your own future, Alan, are you are you happy enough to continue in the MLS? You do you have a hankering to flee Donald Trump's America yet? <laughs> if I had a, if I had a penny for every time I've been asked that question over the last uh, <laughs> what uh, 6 months or so. Um uh so yeah, at at this moment in time, yeah, we're we're um w- you know, we are really settled uh here in the US. Um you know, uh, a couple of years ago when, when we moved over it was very much a, a, a leap of faith into the unknown and uh um yeah myself uh, my wife and my two kids at the time we um we 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 took the uh, we took that jump into it and um um we've really settled the kids have settled and so on so much so that uh, um you know we've added uh we've added a, a uh, an American to the family um, over the last couple of months, which um, which has been um, um, really exciting for, for for us. So so yeah, we for as long as I'm happy refereeing, and for as long as my employers are are, are happy with the, the the job that I'm doing, um, um, we're more than happy to stay. From a refereeing point of view, look, refereeing was always a, a you can call it a, a hobby or a, a pastime or a passion. Um, that, that's what it was for me at home. Um, so that's the way I always looked at it. And over the last couple of years, it's it's now my job. Um, and, and never did I think that I would uh, have the ability to, to, to say that uh, about something yeah. that I really, really love uh, doing. Um, so from an opportunities point of view, there's a lot of stuff um, going on here that, that, um, that helped me uh, um, uh, to... to to enjoy that more, um, both off-field and on. You know, the, the, the full-time professional environment that I work in is um, hugely fulfilling uh, and, and, and something I love doing. Um, and, and the off-field stuff, like the, the coaching and the mentoring um, with, uh, with younger referees, is, um, again, hugely rewarding, hugely fulfilling, and, you know, obviously something that um, 
uh, I, I want to pursue and see my future and down the line. So, um, so, the, so the opportunities are, are here for that, and, uh, and 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 it's great, um, and and we're very much settled. So, for as long as 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 I'm happy and we're happy, then uh, we're happy to stay. Great, Alan Kelly. Thanks so much for being so generous, generous with your time and joining us on this week's show. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much to Alan for chatting to us this week. And now from one Irish success story to a series of crushing Irish failures, it's this podcast time for the Ladbrokes Bet of the Week. Get double the odds on first goal scorer with Ladbrokes. That's right, if you're winning first goal scorer scores in the opening 20 minutes of selected live matches, then Ladbrokes will double the odds. Available in Ladbrokes shops nationwide. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlewy.net. Yep, more disappointment last week in the FA Cup final. And because there's no one else here, I have once again been entrusted with a bet. Uh, I have yet to land a single bet across the entirety of the season. And this is our penultimate one and probably the last one I'll be making. Uh, Naturally, uh, it is being made on the Champions League final in Wales on Saturday evening. Uh, And the bet is Juventus to win and for there to be fewer than 2.5 goals in the game at 21 to 5. So basically one or two goals in the game or zero goals and Juventus to win on penalties that works for us either way my rationale for this uh, well Juventus don't concede many goals Gianluigi Buffon has only been beaten once in the knockout stages in the entire competition that was in the in the second leg of the semi-final against Monaco um, and if Juventus are going to win which I think that they will uh, they won't win in a shootout with Real Madrid um, so when Cristiano Ronaldo scores the late winner in a 4-3 classic for the ages uh, you'll know exactly who to blame for having a very good time watching this year's Champions League final At Ladbrokes if one team lets you down on your ACA of five teams or more you'll get your money back as a free bet up to €25 Euro. Ladbrooks online, mobile and in shop. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlewy.net As I said at the top of the show, I was at the Aviv yesterday uh, where I got the pleasure of speaking to friend of the show, Stephen Hunt, and Ireland's top scorer year 2012, Sean St. Ledger. Uh, there's a video of both of those chats going up on the site uh, later this week or possibly early next week. Uh, but I also did get the opportunity to grab an extra few minutes uh, with Sean St. Ledger for a podcast interview. Here it is. Uh, I will warn you that this was recorded in the home dressing room in the Aviva, so that explains the little bit of noise that echoes around the conversation toward the end. Uh, um, but the main reason I'm saying that is to point out the fact that I did get to record this conversation in the home dressing rooms of the Aviva Stadium. Uh, with the Austria qualifier on the horizon, uh, I began by asking Sean if he's been impressed with Ireland's campaign thus far. It's been really, really good. I think it's a, it's a tough group, obviously Serbia. Uh, a good team, Wales um, and the Austria. It's, it's a tough game, um, but it's one that Austria really, they have to try and get three points out of it. Um, obviously, we would like three points as well, but they're obviously four points behind us, mm. and so it's probably more onus on them to, to try and win the game. It's a strangely packed schedule for June. I mean, we're, yeah. only, we're only playing one game fewer than we played last year in the Euros, with all, and we're travelling to America for the Mexico game and then back for Uruguay, yeah. and then and then the big game against Austria. How much of a challenge does that pose? I mean, are they right to stack that many games around? Um, I suppose the manager's kind of just thinking that some of the players haven't played for a, a long time, and with the two games, it probably gives them a chance to, to play all the players. Mm. I, I can't imagine that it's going to be the same 11 in, in each game. Um, so, in, in that way, it's, it's probably a good thing that they have got the games, and you can lose a little bit of match sharpness. Uh, so it's going to be good, and what I think is against good opposition, 
it's not as if they're the playing somewhere it's going to be a stroll and they're going to win 7-0 Mexico are going to be really really good mm. and the same with Uruguay yeah so it's almost because especially the Irish players maybe in the championship they finished quite, you know, quite a few weeks yeah, ago so yeah, is yeah. there almost like another mini pre-season yeah. almost to get ready for the, for the games I think ahead. so yeah it's but the break would be good for, for the lads as well, you know, after a long season, if you've been relegated, mm. you probably just want to get away from, from things, yeah. or, you know, and so it's, it's good to get the break, but then it's good to have the games, I think. Yeah. With the Austria game, we're in a, a slightly different situation than we're used to, because we've actually made quite a, like a really good start to qualifying. I mean, the la- in this, this stage of the qualifying campaign, last time, we played Scotland, and we kind of needed a win to almost stay in touch with everyone. We're kind of yeah. a little bit adrift of, of Poland and Germany and Scotland. This time we're, we're ahead of pretty much everyone. Okay, we're level with Serbia, but yeah. like this is a chance to kill someone off rather than like grab to their coattails to stay in contention. Does that change the mindset of a player in that situation um, in any way? I think mentally, if you go into the game, you're going into the game, and you know that. Austria can be, would be seven points behind us. If, yeah, it's four at the moment. Yeah. Do you know, which psychologically, I think, if you looked at the group um, before it started, you probably would have said Austria were probably the, the strongest team in the group. We played them um, recently, and so, like from a psychological point of view, if we win, seven points is huge, mm. and I think it would dent Austria's confidence if they go that far behind, and you can almost maybe one foot into um, second place or first place. Yeah. Have you any concerns about the Irish squad in terms of, well, first, obviously injuries are probably yeah. without Shane Long, definitely without Seamus Coleman, definitely without James McCarthy. I think Harry Archer is, is touch and go. That's obviously a concern, but probably as much a concern, or maybe it's not, is the form at club level. Like, particularly in the Premier League, Irish players haven't really lit it up this season. Yeah. I mean, Seamus Coleman is the top goal scorer, Irish goal scorer with four goals in the league. Is that much of a, of a concern, or is it almost different when you get back among your international setup? Yeah, I think it's different. I think it's, it's what I said earlier. Like some players who have been relegated, it can be kind of a release yeah. to be a, away from the from the club, from your club troubles. And so I think when you, for me especially, I think when I, I came to play here in, in Ireland, you know, sometimes it was it was good to get away and. Yeah. I could not be playing very well sometimes at club level, but then um, you come here and you can play well. So I don't think what happens with your club kind of correlates and, and comes into into your international career. Yeah. In terms of your own experience, where did you watch your 2016? Well, I think I was in America. Oh, I was in America. Yeah. yeah. Were you in the thick of games? Or? Yeah, yeah. Our season was going on, and obviously with the time difference, it was yeah. sometimes quite difficult to actually find somewhere that had the game on. Yeah, Do you know, um, but no, and obviously we'll be training. I think it was eight hours time difference, so the games kicking off, um, say whatever time it was. Sometimes it was quite difficult to go and watch it. Yeah, and how do you look back at the Euro twenty twelve experience? Ireland's top scorer at the tournament. Um, <laughs> like, how do you look back? Is it because it was quite a difficult tournament? You obviously had dreams of going to a major tournament with Ireland. Is it? In any way, sorry by the performance, or will you always have to make? Uh, yeah, always of bad? course, you know, because football is all about winning, yeah. isn't it? I think, you know, we lost in our group. We had the two finalists, so yeah. in in that respect, it was obviously a pretty difficult group. Um, and yeah, for me, obviously, it was probably the, the highlight of, of my career going to yeah. the Euros. But then, obviously, football is about winning, ultimately, and um, we didn't do that. So. Yeah. 
Right, great. And I can, uh, please tell me if I'm totally wrong about this, I can imagine being in your position, Euro 2012 being so difficult and Euro 2016 being a relative success, yeah. is there a tinge of regret or jealousy there that it couldn't have swapped around? No, or? no, not really, because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, whether I'm playing or not playing, I'm, I'm still supporting the lads, the boys, and so I want us to, I would love to, to win it, but mm. we didn't, and it's just one of the things. Sometimes you have to hold your hands up in, in 2012 and say, listen, we got beat by teams that were better, better than us, do you know? Yeah. In terms of your own career now, you talked to me just before we started yeah. recording about uh, taking your coaching badges, that management, yeah. is, it, is it full of management that you'd like? or Possibly, yeah. yeah. I've, I've not really thought about it too much. I kind of, I've done it just to have it as a backup plan and, and go with the flow. Yeah, and you've been working at Leicester? Yeah, I've just been doing some coaching sessions at Leicester. I've done some um, scouting. Um, recruitment side, um, there they've been fantastic with me. Yeah, you know, you involved um, the senior squad, or is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh great. Yeah, so no, they've been fantastic yeah. to let me go back in there, and there's so many good people at the football club. Yeah, has it has it changed much from you were there as a player? Has it changed much? Um, has Premier League success changed it as irrevocably as we not might really, think no, it has? No, no, it's just. It was, even though I probably didn't play as much as I, I did, I wanted to at Leicester. It was probably one of my favourite clubs because of the training grounds, fantastic, and everyone that works at the club are really good people, from the physio, the manager, and so it, it was a happy place to, to go into, mm. you know. And I go back there, and nothing's really changed. The Premier League success hasn't hasn't changed it. Yeah, and nice. In terms of your reaction last season when they won it, yeah. are you rubbing your eyes with disbelief like the rest of us? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I actually couldn't believe it. And then I was gutted that I couldn't go to see Andrea Bocelli, who's one of my favourites. Yeah. And I was, yeah, it was brought tears to my eyes to see him singing that song. Yeah. Well, Sean St. Ledger, thanks so much. It was a real pleasure Thank to you. meet you. You too. Thanks very much to Sean St. Ledger for his time. Uh, it is worth keeping an eye out for the videos that are going up on the side either later this week or early next week uh, mainly for the reason that Sean St. Ledger sings some Taylor Swift and some Elvis Presley um, it was pretty remarkable uh, but that is all we have time for in the show this week we will be back next week uh, for the final instalment of the season uh, with a bumper preview of that critical Austria qualifier uh, but until then uh, all that's left to say is thanks to our sponsor Ladbrokes as always thanks to Alan Kelly and Sean St. Ledger for taking the time to chat to us this week and above all thanks to you for listening